0: think they need a friendlier voice for that. I say it every time. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Claire. Um, I don't know if you want to start just by giving us like a little spiel about what you do. You can show everyone your book, your YouTube channel, and then we've had a few questions come in already. And then if anyone else listening has got any questions, please just chuck your name in the chat or put a little hand up and
1: then we'll come to you after that. So, Over to you. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here today. Thanks so much for taking the time out to watch. Uh, I am Claire Maxted from Wild Ginger Running so I run a YouTube channel it's all about trail and ultra running so there's a new film every week about some aspect of trail ultra running so it's like maybe a gear review as you can see from all the shoes behind me there I'm just plowing through those at the moment or there's nutrition advice or there's interviews with famous people and experts like Carla so like for example you might have seen um, I interviewed Carla at the national running show so I'm putting a series out at the moment of about um, lots of different tips for ultra running. Um, So pacing is one of the most um, recent ones there um so I've also written a book um called the ultimate trail running handbook so that's just got like loads of advice about gear and nutrition loads of recipes in there injury prevention moves um strength moves as well this was before I knew Carla so if I had known Carla at this point I would have definitely got her in the book to do some strength moves and there's training plans as well from 5k to 50k um um yeah so I used to be the editor of trail running magazine so I founded um, co-founded that with my team in 2020, worked on that for seven years and for seven years I kept interviewing athletes and coaches and everybody says how important strength and conditioning is and I never actually did it. Um, fast forward I don't know is it 10 years later now yeah it's 12, 12 years later actually and now I'm actually doing some strength and conditioning but that was only because I met Carla at the national running show and then suddenly something clicked and I was just like why am I not doing this so now since meeting her I've done it once a week religiously and I'm very proud of myself <laughs> <Awesome>. well done <laughs> yeah, thanks I don't know what it was it was just like all of a sudden I think it was because you said like you had done so many like loads of different things like the jog and now comrades and everything like that and you said that the only reason you were injury free was because of the strength and conditioning so I just I just suddenly suddenly I Occurred to me yes I get injured all the time why don't I do this so now I do (laughs) yeah
0: and I think on that like it's just finding a way to consistently get it into your program like I think a lot of people think oh you have to go to a gym four or five times a week to make a difference but actually it's just those little building blocks and just doing a little bit every week actually has an accumulative benefit that's way more than doing it five times a week for three months and
1: then hating the gym and never going back (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, I thought that I had to do like a really long session. Like, I mean, even half an hour, I can get a bit bored. So I thought I had to do like an hour to half an hour to an hour. But then when you said like even if you do ten minutes a day, then that's better than nothing, and could be better than it's never. It's definitely better than never doing an hour a week, isn't it? So I think that made it super easy and. And actually now, I quite enjoy it. I do it on a Wednesday um, and now on Monday as well. And I get my weights out and I, I like step up and down on my bench and I make up loads of crazy exercises. I just follow people like you and steal free things off Instagram and and uh, just make it up as I go <laughs> along.
0: Awesome. Well, I think with that, we'll go on to our first question from uh Rachel I don't know if it Rachel was it you that emailed that in or was it a different Rachel uh no that wasn't me okay cool I thought I'd just check before (laughs) Um, (laughs) Rachel's asked a really great question um and she said that she's training for London Marathon at the moment and should she keep on doing strength and conditioning up to the race so What I do, if it is my A race, then I don't do any strength and conditioning for the 10 days before the race, because I think it is really, really important to rest, let all those benefits of the training sink in. You also just don't want something silly to happen, like you drop a weight on your foot, you know, something (laughs) like that. You need to, when you're going into a race, like eliminate anything that could happen and Mm Yeah, you definitely, if it is an A race, 10 days before, I don't do any S and C. So before Comrades, I um, pre-recorded some of the sessions, so I wouldn't have to do it the week of the race and also the week after, because I knew I wouldn't be able to walk, which I couldn't for a week. <laughs> Mainly because you popped your blisters with a safety pin. Well, <laughs> yeah, that race is brutal. So, yeah. If it's an A race, definitely don't do any in that 10 days before you can keep on doing yoga and some gentle mobility. Um, That's absolutely fine. I would say if it is uh, like a BC race, one that you're just using as a training race, you're not too bothered about, then you could probably do S&C on like the Monday, Tuesday of that week of your race. But I wouldn't actually do it any later. So I definitely wouldn't do it like Thursday, Friday, if your race is Saturday, Sunday. So yeah b races c races i always i still do s and c in the week before but a races definitely not for 10 days before the race so that's my little thing on when to put s and c and i think that is a great question um also after the race it kind of depends how you feel so like for comrades for a week i literally couldn't walk um and I waited a week to do any yoga or S&C, but actually when I started doing it again, it was just nice to move in a slightly different way and have that like body awareness. It can also sometimes pull up, you know, if you've got a little niggle or picked up anything from a race, doing that S&C and yoga um, can highlight those points. And I haven't used weights for like the first two weeks of S&C after my race. You know, you can just do everything body weight, just really nice, and easy, but you want to let your body recover um afterwards. So yeah, that's that. Does anyone listening have any questions
1: for Claire? Oh, I've got a question for you first, Carla. I just yes. when you were talking about not doing SNC for the 10 days before your a big race, yeah. I just wondered how often do you personally do your S C? Um so
0: I do SNC um once a week. Um and then I so the SCY S&C once a week, I have started doing um, a heavier weights program um, once a week, which I'm going to film over the next couple of weeks. And that will be available for everyone within the SCY group. Um, and then I do core twice a week, um, okay. so different core exercises
1: and then yoga once. So. so when you film yours for the group, that is that you doing a session? Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, like the the bigger weights one is going to be a little bit different to how the program's normally structured, just because you need to be in a gym and the time that it takes to do the exercises is going to vary differently. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to film how to do the weight and then give everyone like a crib sheet on how you can actually break down um, break down the session, just because for that one, you actually need to do it in, in your own time. It doesn't quite work in the same same format but yeah I think there's there's a place for heavier weights you don't you don't need to do it I've only been doing it for the past few months adding that second session in Um, I definitely think you want to get consistent with the one a week ones that we normally do first before
1: taking it up to to heavier weights in a gym yeah, I did um I did my personal training course a few years ago and we did some Olympic powerlifting mm. and it's it was amazing because I never thought of weights as a cardio activity before. Um unless obviously you're combining it with like step ups and, and like yeah. burpees and stuff. And it was just amazing how much the heart was beating on like doing that clean jerk and mm. it was actually like really fun. I found it a really fun um thing to do. I'd never done anything like that before. So mm. I think that's really great that you're doing the heavier weightlifting. is it's just it's fun isn't it yeah my favorite game in the gym at the moment is when the guys are using the
0: squat rack before me and they're like do you want me to take help you take the weights off I'm like
1: no. <laughs> I'm putting more on yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should go up to them and say can I help you I'm all right with that <laughs> it's
0: like overtaking cyclists when I'm running it's like my oh. spot. <laughs> <Yes, I know.
1: laughs> Wow, that is funny.
0: <laughs> Mainly mountain bikers on trails. That's when, yeah, are.
1: uphill on a mountain bike, you can be the same speed as a
0: runner, can't you? <laughs> and they'd smash past you as soon as you get to a downhill. But oh, yeah, yeah, but they're cheating. <laughs> um, cool. I've got a question for you. You did a really great um video on running poles. Could you give us um, like a couple of tips on? how to use running poles and how to train with them like anything that you learned from that video
1: yes so um i just thought running poles before i made that video i think it was with lackey poles um Mm -hmm. before i made that video i just thought oh you just pick the poles up and you just it's not rocket science apparently it is rocket science and there's all sorts of training that goes with it so i've experienced a few training classes now and um Basically, they start you off just walking, kind of trailing the poles behind you, um, just kind of hands by the sides. Um, And then once you sort of... You sort of kind of instinctively start to move your arms at that point, just walking. Um, and then you'll find that the poles sort of stab behind you a little bit. Because I thought you kind of lifted the pole and planted it forward and then pushed down. But actually, it's much more of a when you're running, you're just kind of um, letting the arm move naturally. And then the pole just naturally just kind of drops to the ground a bit nearer to the foot. It's not like flinging it out in front and stabbing it and pulling. It's just sort of like. Um as best I can describe it without actually standing in a circle in the garden, um, you sort of the pole sort of stabs down near your foot area. And then you just you actually push off um, as it's quite, kind of going behind you. So so I thought that was quite an interesting thing because I'd always just thought you sort of like planted it in front and then pushed. But it's actually just a natural drop. And then it sort of naturally drops beside your leg and you push backwards on the pole. So I don't know if that is clear, but that's what I found. And especially using those lecky poles that I was using, that you're in a special glove. I don't have a pair to show you just here, but you're in a special glove that actually attaches you to the pole. So you can actually just... like this and the poles are still attached to you so that makes it much more easy to do that sort of fling out action and just let the pole drop and be pushing backwards with the pole um so yeah that's one tip another tip that i do have is when you're using poles um if someone's really close behind you and you have to go up a steep bit or climb a style then make sure that they're a good distance away because all of a sudden you can be picking them up and stab someone in the eye That is another good tip. Um, There's two types of pole as well. Um, Well, three types. You've got the ones that collapse down. um, You've got the fixed ones that don't collapse down, and then you've got these variable ones where you can vary vary the length of them, and they also collapse down as well. So I have actually, I think I've got three types to show you. I'm just actually doing a, a pole review for Harrier. So I've got their latest polls in, which is quite exciting. I don't know if anyone's heard of Harrier. No, Hoka don't make poles, so they're not treading on anyone's toes here. No, um, don't worry about <laughs> treading. <laughs> this is their latest poll, um, and it's uh, the Helver, uh, the Helvelin Carbon Pro. So I'm testing these at the moment. Um, so these are a good example of a poll, which is just. Uh, a fixed length so these are 120 centimeters first I would advise you to get a pole which is variable to start with so that you can find your perfect length before you invest in a pair like this which is it it, it doesn't you have to make sure it clicks there you go it's clicked out there yeah so you have to make sure that um that you've got the right length um and then uh yeah you just um put your hand in oh, go away, cat. <laughs> you're <involved>. computer <laughs> they love the computer it's so warm isn't it for them to sit on so yeah you just pop your hand under like that um and yeah, yeah. grab it nice and comfy like that and then you can sort of see it, how you're not kind of using it to kind of jab forwards and then haul yourself along you're just letting it drop back and then pushing when you get to that angle there um so yes uh that's a quick poll 101 just a a couple of tips
0: um I really like the lecky little glove that you get as well because yeah yeah it just feels really comfy and I heard speaking to a girl last week who said she was doing a trail race and like you said someone was in front of her Flung his pole back and it went right up into her oh. nose and burst all oh bloodless. God. I'm like, horrific. <laughs>
1: oh that's terrible i've never heard it actually happening before but yeah it's it's really really lethal um you can also if you're trying to overtake people and they're using poles you've got to be really careful to give them a really wide berth because sometimes they their pole kind of flings out and you can trip over it as well especially in low light or or the dark i found Uh, i'll just show you that probably the pole that you'd want to get first is something more like this with which has got um a variable uh adjustment
0: on it right sorry I'm just gonna have to shut the cat out and ask my husband to feed him because that's what he wants random cat I would also say on um polls what is actually like when you look at trail runners using them it's actually quite difficult to see but if you go and look at cross-country skiers and see how they use their poles for both skating and for classic. So they use the two technique or the double poling. I find like it's a lot easier to watch it in a skier um, because it's a very, very similar, um, what's the word, Um, principles around using poles in the same way. But it's a little bit easier to see it on a skier than someone like running in a wood where there's a lot of distraction going
1: on. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And I was just going to show this um, adjustment here. This is if you want to start using poles, I would get a pair of poles which which basically adjusts like this. So this is the Harrier Halvellyn pole, and it goes from 105 centimetres all the way up to 120. Um, don't take it past there because the pole will come apart. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can just figure out there what your most comfortable length is. But also, You want the pole at different lengths for different different types of terrain. So if you're going uphill, you might want to make them a little bit shorter. And if you're going downhill, you might want to make them a little bit longer. Personally, I can't be bothered to faff around with poles if I'm in the middle of a race. But if you're out hiking, doing hiking training or um, doing some uphill running training with the poles, then you might want to do that. But you'll find that you kind of settle on one specific length. Um, and that's when you want to upgrade into some lighter poles, which don't have this adjustment on. They're just one length for you. Um, and the other thing to think about with poles is how you're going to store them on your backpack. Um, So you won't want to be using the poles all the time necessarily. Um, Sometimes if there's some technical ground, you might need to use your hands or sometimes um, it's too tricky sometimes going downhill to use poles because you've got to think about four placements rather than just two. So sometimes you won't want to use your poles. Um, So think about where they're going to go on your pack. There's so many different options on different packs for where to put poles. Um, Some have them um, across your front, so like some have them here. I had a raid like pack where it had two bits of elastic on the straps. You can have it here. Um, the Salomon do a a pole quiver where it's just a like a bag, like an arrow quiver, like in the medieval times. You just slot it back in there. You you want to practice that before you're in a big race, obviously. Like with all these things, that you're not kind of I don't know stabbing someone or it's not a massive effort for you to go like that some people will be carrying their poles here and here um some backpacks have them right on the back as well you've got to make sure with that that you can get them tight enough so they don't just constantly bash you in the back um so that's another thing with poles it's not just the using of the poles but the carrying of the poles you want to make sure they're um uh, light enough as well and you can get some you can get lighter versions but they tend to be more expensive and the the most lightweight versions you can get are very very slim they're the the trailblaze mountain king trailblaze poles they're really really light they're like 100 grams but you can't put your full weight on them so take that into consideration if you're using your poles for doing um, a race where you're doing river crossings or something like that because you want a sturdy pole that you can really put all your weight on if you're going to be using them to do river crossings rather than just ping along on smooth tracks, making yourself propel, propelling yourself faster. So yes. Um yeah, anything else about the poles?
0: No, I think um good shout on like where you put them. Like I like to have them along the bottom of my back, like you said, tight in, but um I found that mine bounced a little bit. So actually on my race belt I just sewed like a couple more pieces of elastic just to hold it in. I think sometimes you know, the race vests are not perfect, and you can customize them. So you can chuck another bit of elastic, you can chuck some Velcro um, to make it more comfortable, you don't have to go out and buy new stuff. So I've definitely found just that extra bit of elastic held it on quite tight. But you also need to practice like running quite fast with them, especially downhill, because Mm -hmm. that's when they're going to jingle. If you just practice like running slowly uphill, they're not going to move that much. So Make sure wherever you end up placing your poles, you practice running quite at the speed that you're going to be in a race when your poles are stashed, because that's when you're gonna find if they bounce or or move, move around. Definitely.
2: Um, Graham, did you have a question? Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I forgot you'd muted me. <laughs> um I asked it on the on the um the app um yeah. the week and you said to come in here and ask um I think it was this session that you meant so I'm planning on an FKT it's a fair old distance and I'm going to need to average around about 44 miles a day I think yeah. so see is it best to plan an average distance per day or have a set time let's say I'm going to run for 18 hours And I know then I've got six hours break or actually look at the route and decide, well, today it's a bit hilly. I'll only get 30 miles done. The next day I might get 50 miles done because it's a bit flatter.
0: Um, Which FKT are you doing again?
2: Uh, Welsh Cross Path.
0: How far is that?
2: 870 miles, 880 miles.
1: Nice. (laughs) Wow. Are you doing that all in one go or are you doing it over a week and then coming back to it?
2: No, I'm doing it in one go. So the target's 20 days, 10 hours at the moment, but that'll get broken, I think, at some point. By you? No, not by me. I think someone else is going to break it first. No, you've got to
1: sneak in there. You never know. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, what an exciting challenge. When are you planning on doing it, Graham?
2: Um, The end of May going into June, I think.
0: Cool. Um, Yeah, so it's a really good question. Like the thing with the Welsh coastal path is it's quite savage with like all the the hills that you're going to go up so when I did the jog I basically had so what I did for my plan which I think will probably work similar for you is I got the full distance and then I broke it down into how many days I wanted to do it in. So I wanted to do it in 11 and a half days because then that gave me a 24-hour buffer window um, for if anything went wrong. And with like multi-day stuff like this, you need quite a big buffer. So for like 20 days, you probably want to give yourself like a two-day window. Um, So I would say get that total distance and divide it by 18. Like you don't have to go... Okay. that will give you like a rough distance to hit each day um so I always had that as my first goal um was to try and hit that distance that I had set each day I then once I plotted the route I would see where I was staying each night so I might you know some days might be five miles shorter or five miles longer I then had three goals for the day. So one, a goal was to reach the distance that I'd planned to do. So let's just say 100k a day. Um, My B goal was to go from 5am in the morning till 10pm at night. That was my cut off because on these multi day things, sleep is really important. And yes, the last couple of days, if you're on for the record, you're probably going to have to go through the night without sleeping. But you don't want to start that early because you're just going to dig yourself Into a hole, and then my third goal was that a minimum in a day I would do for me it was 100k. So I either had to do the distance I set, which was 112 roughly, 10am, 5am till 10pm, or minimum of 100k. So like one day I think we got to like 99.5, and the guys like the van's here. I was like, absolutely no way, we're doing 500 (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think you know having those three goals, it means that, you know, you can kind of, you're going to have to probably change your plan a little bit each day. Hopefully some days the terrain will be a little bit um more forgiving. So you'll be able to get maybe a tiny bit more distance in. Um, some days it might be a bit harder where you'll have to dial that distance back. Um, but yeah, with FKTs, definitely plan for that two-day window so then that basically if or if you've had a really hard day and you haven't quite hit the distance you're then going to start to creep into those two days but it means because you've got 48 hours you don't have to panic because it's quite a big amount of time so and you probably won't see those slippages in miles until probably the halfway point hopefully so I think yeah, that's that's how I would do it. That's how I did do it. And I think it worked really well, having that slight flexibility in there. Um, are you planning on taking a rest day or are you just going all the way through?
2: No, just going straight away through. I don't think the terrain and the time that you need to do it in yeah. allows for a rest day.
0: Yeah. And I think like doing stuff like people told me, they're like, oh, you're well ahead. Like, why don't you have a rest day? Because everything is hurting so much, actually having one day off when you're doing stuff like this actually doesn't make a difference. You need two weeks off and you need to sleep constantly and eat loads to actually have the benefit. Um, so yeah, you just gotta I mean you're good at it, but suck up the pain a little bit if you're going for a record like this. Where are you gonna stay along the route? Is it are you doing it self supported or supported?
2: I'll be doing it supported, so I I've got a, a van that I can sleep in and stuff so um, I think that's what Reese did Reese Jenkins he holds the record I think that's what he started doing but when he did um, Le Jog he was adamant he was staying in a hotel because his wife was with him and she was pregnant but I think he used that as an excuse because he didn't like sleeping in a van I've chatted to him and he said sleeping in a van was the worst thing that he could do because it just wasn't as comfy as a hotel
0: yeah and like I agree like I slept in a van for the first three days of Le Jog and then I was like absolutely no way And luckily I had a really nice guy that sponsored like hotels for the rest of the way up. And it's just like, if you can find places to stay and people are so nice, you know, if you put it out there, there's people on the route that will be able to, that will, that will give you a room for tonight and for a night. And I really think it does make a difference just in terms of like being able to stand up to get changed. Like I found that really hard having to lie down in a van to like get your clothes on, it's just irritating, um, and yeah, any on something like this, anything that can make you feel that little bit better um, is going to help. So just take if people offer you that, I would like definitely take it.
1: Um, because... You get a shower as well, presumably, if you're <laughs> yeah. in someone's house compared to the van. Yeah. And that can make all the difference. When I ran around the Isle of Man, it's nothing compared to the jog. It's it's only a hundred miles, and I did it over six days. I actually I did plan it out, but it was easier because I wasn't going for FKT or anything. But I just got in touch with their local running club, and people were so kind. Like they actually dropped my big bag with my laptop in. that I was making the film with every night, and they uh, so they dropped my bag at the next person's house, um, and then the next person w- was running with me, and then like came there partner came to pick me up and and it was really nice everyone put me up for the whole six nights and fed me and everything so if you reach out on Facebook groups or or um yeah some local running forums and things like that you might be really surprised by by who you can get to support you but then it does mean you're a little locked in as to where you get to I suppose um so it can have upside and down downsides. so um people are usually really flexible but um yeah you could just see how it goes it'd be an adventure
0: yeah I can also put you in touch with so I was coaching a guy called Paul who's currently running the coastline of the UK and is due to finish in about a
2: month he stayed at my house the other week did he
0: oh yeah (laughs) see there you go yeah and yeah I'm sure he'd be great to like if you chat to him about where he stayed in Wales for that bit as well well he's there now isn't he yeah mad he's like smashed it Cool. Do you have any other FKT questions? Does that help, Graham?
2: No, that really helps. Thank you.
0: Yeah, cool. Good luck with the planning. And if you want any more help with it, let me know. And you've got to go beat the record before <laughs> the next person does. Who's going for it after before you?
2: Um, Matt Evans is going for it. He was going to go for it this year, but he picked up a niggle, so he didn't, he didn't even try. And I've forgotten the other guy's name. He's doing it in July, I think.
1: Okay Not he was on for the record he was the, on for the
2: record this year, but okay. um he twisted his ankle in Pembrokeshire or just past Pembrokeshire, mm-hmm. and it's relatively flat then afterwards, so he was definitely on for breaking the time by a fair chunk, but' because he picked up the niggle he just he, he couldn't wait but and mm. he didn't he didn't want to damage himself too much, so he's going back again yeah July next year, I think okay, cool,
0: well, yeah, looking forward to seeing how your training goes for it and we'll all celebrate when you beat reese's record
2: (laughs) i think he'll celebrate too because he's i think he's sick of having it because he gets so many questions about it (laughs) (laughs)
0: um cool cheers graham um siobhan has asked do you have any recommendation for women's running shorts
1: oh women's running shorts I do actually because I have the type of thigh that rubs together at the top I don't know if Siobhan experiences the same problem even if I'm even when I got to my thinnest ever my thighs still rub together at the top so um I'm not one of those people with a thigh gap so I or I can't wear those little shorts that you know like the ones from the 80s they just kind of go upwards and they're just fabric and they just dangle i can't wear those so i have to wear cycling shorts at the moment i'm actually wearing some hoker shorts so um they're just these um little cycling shorts i can't wear anything that's not a cycling short because it just rides up otherwise um my favorite pair of shorts at the moment um i'm not going <laughs> this is not going to make me popular at all because my favorite pair of shorts have been just sent in to me from this company called Soar. Um, S-O-A-R, not S-O-R-E, which is a little bit of a conundrum with that name. Um, but they're a combination of a cycling short and then like a flappy bit around the edge. i not really sure why people do that. I think it's like a, like a fashion or modesty thing. Um, they're actually not designed exactly for women, but they just fit anyway. Um, but the reason that I'm not going to be popular because, is because these this pair of shorts costs 125 pounds um I think that's ridiculous I would never ever pay that for a pair of shorts in my life it's only because I'm a gear test I get sent all this new stuff um but they are really good so they've got these um little um gel pockets in the back I put um you can even put a water bottle in them they're like um they're just like you know the front pockets you get on a running pack They're they're like that. Um, I wish I had them down, but they're over in the other room. Um, They're they're like that, but there's two in the back. There's a little zip pocket as well, because I feel like you always need a zip pocket in things because you just need a key or a card. You never want to lose something like that. So I put my phone in one or my GoPro. It'll even fit a GoPro and a bottle of water. It's got a pulley at the front so you can tie it tight so they don't fall down. They've got they've got a nice length to it. if if the cycling shorts don't come down far enough, they ride up. So you've got to have well, these ones come down to like mid thigh, which is really good. And then they've got like this flappy bit around, which just makes you, makes it look like you're wearing a short. Now I know that Ron Hill do make a short like that. Salomon also used to make a short like that. And High Estate also make a short like that. So... I would investigate ron hill and Higher state especially if you're on budget because they make i think they call them twin skin so they've got the cycling short bit and then either a scorch like a little skirt or a, a flappy bit around um so i'd go for them the other short that i wear a lot is it, a short from innovate from ages ago i don't know if they still make them but it's basically a cycling short that doesn't ride up because it's about half thigh length so those would be my short recommendations Cool. Thanks.
0: And I also really like, um, the rabbit shorts. It's an American brand. It's actually made. Everything's designed by women. Um, they're based in California. I'm not entirely sure if they post over to the UK, um, but they actually white label quite a lot of hokers kit. So when I get the rabbit stuff, I get very excited because it's much better fitting and yeah, like much nicer quality. So, um, I don't think they'll be as expensive as those, but they're Californian prices. So they might be, um, cause everything in California costs a fortune. Um, okay. but yeah, rabbit, really nice colors, like really nice fit. And also I have like before the Lululemon ones, but again, they're really expensive, but I do find like they last for ages. Um, the quality is really good. And, you know, if you if you find a pair of shorts that you like, it's, might be worth just investing in them because they're going to last for a long time um well you would hope so at that price yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm with you like I hate it when I get shorts without like the zip pocket
1: really irritating yeah or shorts that you can't put an iphone in the the innovate ones that i really like do have a pocket it's down the side and i can just get my iphone in because i mean i i just take it because of safety taking photos Mm. making bits of film you just always have to have it with you so my favorite place is a pocket at the back uh, and zip pocket that fits an iphone because it usually doesn't bounce around there yeah cool
0: thanks any other questions from anyone You have on Rachel. No. Uh, I, I do, yeah. I was just fumbling with buttons. <laughs> um
3: I'm sort of um um running relatively shorter distances compared to others, um, but I feel like I've hit a bit of a plateau with my training. Um, so I just wondered how you approach training generally and, and for races um to sort of in, in, improve your fitness. Um so sometimes I look at training plans and I find the, the intervals are really complicated. Um, and then I just don't know how to go about it when I go out. So I was just wondering if if it's a case of just increasing your mileage or actually do you really need to knuckle down and do those complicated intervals? Um, what distance are you training for? Um, the, the furthest I've run is 15k. Um, so the race that I would like to do, which would be the first race I've ever done is 10k. Um and I know I can run that distance and longer, but um I, I usually stop and things like that. And I think I just don't have very, very much confidence in my fitness.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think first if you're running 15k, um, you're fit. Like that's like a really good level to be at. And, you know, you should have the confidence that, you know, if you can run that far, you're more than capable of doing the races that you want to. Hitting a plateau is normally because there's not enough stimulus there within your training. So in order to run faster, you need to run fast. So you do need to do those interval sessions, but they don't need to be complicated. I think sometimes people try and make them too fancy. Um, But what you could do is you can start off Um, by saying I'm going to do five minutes of hard work within an interval session. So to do that, you would do something like a 10-minute jog warm-up. You do some drills and then a 10-minute jog warm-up. There's a drill video um, in the app that you can see on how to do all of those. And then five minutes of hard work. So you can break that down doing one minute as fast as you can, one minute walk, repeat that five times, 10 minutes jog cool down. And it can be as easy as that. And then what you want to do over time is slowly build up the interval for the speed that you're running. So let's say for two weeks, you do five minutes, one minute on, one minute off. Then after that, you can do 90 seconds on, one minute off. So slightly shorter rest compared to the interval. And you can slowly build that up until you're doing something like four times 20 minutes. I think for like a a main interval session, 20 to 25 minutes of like hard work, if you're going for speed, it is enough. Um, When you're going up the distances, so say you're training for a 10K, for example, there needs to be an element of your long run that is done at your desired tempo pace. So you might not be able to hit that in the beginning. Um, But again, you can break that down where say your long run is an hour, you can start off doing 10 minutes tempo within that. So you can do 20 minutes easy, 10 minutes at race pace, 20 minutes easy. So just keep it, keep it simple. Like, you know, I think people try and make it complicated because they're trying to sometimes keep the sessions a little bit more interesting um, and mix it up. But essentially you need to do the fast bits, fast, the slow bits, slow, and you can, there's different ways to do it you can either jog your recoveries or walk your recoveries I would definitely start off by like walking or standing still um and then you can build up um to jogging within it which watch do you have by the way um I
3: have a Garmin but it's the Vivoactive at the minute
0: cool because you can make workouts have you used the workouts function on your watch um i've attempted to i need to have a look at it again i think but that's like a really handy way it is a little bit fiddly um but once you get used to using it um it's a really easy way of doing intervals and your watch will then just beep at you when to go fast and when to slow down um it's a lot easier to set the sessions um either on the app or on a desktop computer um and yeah, you can plan, you can plan it. So you just press the lap button when, um, you want to start your session and then it just runs through and it basically beeps at you and it will say on the screen, depending on what wording you've put on that, like run fast or slow down. Um, if you want me to take you through how to do that, just drop me an email and I can, we can just have a quick call and I can show you how to do it. But that's the workouts function on Garmin is really good but you don't have to do the ones that they've programmed you can set your own um and another way of getting quicker as well is building like a heel element into your program um just gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) Um, coming into winter that is when a lot of people will do heel training it's really good at building strength and speed um, and so I'm just starting a hill block as well, so I'm doing six by sixty seconds this week, so as quick as you can up, really, really slowly coming back down, so I'll take like two and a half minutes to jog back down, and I' try and hit the same point on the hill each time, but that helps um develop leg speed as well, and then the last thing that you could do is putting strides in at the end of your runs so You do a nice, easy run. Let's say it's a 30-minute easy run. The pace is irrelevant. You want it to be nice and slow. But in that last 10 minutes, you do strides. So with a stride, you do, again, there's a video on how to do them um, on the app. If you do five seconds build, you do five seconds as fast as you can, five seconds slow down, a minute jog, and then you go again. It's not an interval session. It's just that to help recruit those fast-twitch muscle fibers and to get your body moving as economically as possible. So just to recap, hitting a plateau, you need to increase your speed. So try and do an interval session once a week. Start off with five minutes of hard work and you can gradually increase that until you're at about 20, 25. Putting a hill session in, you probably wouldn't do intervals and hills. You might actually wanna start with a hill block uh, about eight weeks and then go over onto that faster running and then putting strides in in at least one of your easy runs a week does that make sense
3: yeah that makes sense that that sounds much more manageable thank you
1: yeah I've got another idea as well for you just based on what I've been doing to get me a bit faster so I'm training for a half marathon and I've been just really regularly going to park run um so you can instead of having to go out and do your own session, you get a bit of friendly competition. um, And like, say you're doing park when your best effort is like half an hour. You've just done, like, as Carla said, you don't really want to be doing more than 25, 30 minutes of really hard work in the week. Um, park runs are really great way to really get your speed up and get your legs turning over faster, and just practicing what it feels like to breathe in that way and to feel those that kind of lactic acid building up in your body and push push through it. So I found that park run has been a really good discipline thing for me. Um, And the other thing that I do, it's not necessarily about speed, but the other thing you could do to make things different and to get yourself stronger is to wear a running pack. So if you have a running pack and you've got like a little bit of water, some snacks, waterproof in it maybe, then when you do 10K race, when you take the the pack off because you don't need it, then you'll automatically feel a lot lighter and there's the potential that you could go a bit faster there as well. So there's lots of things like that you can do as well. Yeah, I think Thank park you. runs a
0: great one because you can also, um, you know, you can use it as your tempo session. And yeah. you know, maybe one week you're like, okay, I'm going to start off and I'm going to go with the front guys, and I'm going to try and stick with them for three minutes, and then the rest of the park run I'm going to do easy. And then the next week you're going to do five, and you gradually can build up that pace. And having people to run with will make you quicker. As yeah, well. like that fear of either getting caught or not being able a patch
1: yeah. yeah or that person with a buggy on past you or a kid or a dog <laughs> yeah. get ready get, <laughs> get ready for 11 year olds beating you cuz yeah, oh yeah they regularly <laughs> beat me and um, and there's there's also sometimes at park run they do people with bibs on with spe- specific times on so if you're like if you you're you know cracking a 28 minute park run and then you see the person with the 26 minute bib ahead of you you can lock onto that and you can be like oh, right, okay, if I just keep this pace, keep this pace, having someone ahead of you like that to pace you in that way can be really, really handy for running faster. I Like my friend just paced me to um, a, like a post-birth fastest park run for me, um, and he just ran a little bit ahead of me the whole time, made sure that I at that, stuck at that eight-minute mile pace for the whole thing. So, yeah, just something like that's good. Um, using your watch to just check your pace is good on park run as well because it's a, a longer effort. So just to quick look down go am I still on eight minute miles or um whatever it is times it by three and you basically get your result but a bit more (laughs) because it's a bit more than three miles isn't it
0: and just give yourself a little bit of time as well like often we want to get quicker quite quickly and I think it can take a couple of months to start to see those changes but if you do all of this stuff and you can watch like I'll put this session up so you can watch back and um hear how to do everything again um, you know, just give yourself a little bit of time because you might feel that you're actually tired from doing the intervals and it might feel like you're going slower, but you're not, like you're building that strength. So mm. yeah, give yourself a couple of months or maybe even it might be quite good to go and do a park run now, mm. do some hill reps for eight weeks yeah. and do one again and see if you're quicker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh
3: thank you. I've I've done a few park runs this year, and it does change my mindset and motivate me. So I do quite enjoy that. Um, but there was lots of tips there that I hadn't thought of <clears throat> hadn't thought of using. So thank you. That was really all really good.
0: Pleasure. Um, I know you. Well, we mentioned waterproofs in your backpack, Claire. Um, someone had a question the other day about is it better to get a waterproof that fits close to your body that you can put your running pack over or is it better to get one that is a little bit bigger and can go over a running pack I don't know if you've got any
1: thoughts yeah I do have I do have thoughts I have opinions (laughs) as well so my opinion personally is that I like to be able to put my running pack on under my waterproof so I like my waterproof to be I just get it one size bigger so that I can put it over the top Mm -hmm. and and do it up um hopefully try it out before you buy it um it depends what size of running pack you're obviously wearing but if it's a five litre pack you shouldn't need a huge amount of of extra sizing there if you're if you're doing mountain marathons and got a 15 litre pack then it might be a little bit different but if you're like you know got a five ish litre pack i would get one that goes on the outside and the reason for that is um there's a couple of reasons really um, the first one is that if you're constantly wearing your pack over your running jacket, you can wear off the durable water repellent coating on it a lot quicker. Um, so then you've you know, got water ingress and it's going to be less waterproof. Um, and the second reason is that and um, you just you get really hot sometimes in a waterproof and you want to take it on and off quite quickly. So this is a really good way to just make sure that you can really easily as soon as you start getting too hot and you're getting sweat inside the waterproof, um, which is totally counterproductive. Even if it's drizzling, if it's a warm day, I would not wear a waterproof because you're wearing quick drying clothing, presumably. Um, The only reason I would wear a waterproof is if it was really cold, if it was really windy. And if I was about to get to the top of a mountain or something like that, and I was pre wearing my waterproof to keep me safe and dry. Now, there is a slight caveat with that. Um, You do need to sort of have a bit of mountain sense to know when and when not to wear a waterproof if it is raining. Um, So if in doubt, wear it. Um, But just having it over the top like that just gives you a bit of extra ventilation because there's like a little bit of like it's less close fishing, less clammy. Um, And also added bonus, the things in your pack don't get wet if you've not already got them in plastic bags. If your actual pack gets wet, it does weigh you down a little bit more. So if you've got a dry-ish pack, you will have sweat between your back and the pack. But if you've got a dry-ish pack and everything's dry, then it's less heavy to carry as well. So I would always go one size up with the waterproof as well, just to, just for, to make it easy to get on and off. I, um, when I take my waterproof off, um, I can do it while I'm running. So I, I'm running along, I take it off, my backpack's underneath, and I just thread it through one of the arms of the backpack. It is not the coolest look, but it's really handy if it's one of those days which is like, do I need it, do I not need it, or I'm getting a bit cold, or now I'm not, and just um, varying it, um, I find works really well for me.
0: Cool, thanks. And do you have
1: a favourite waterproof,
0: like one that you found's great?
1: Um. Yes, I, I did really like the Montaigne water, um, waterproof, uh, what's the name of it, it's, it's like called Featherlight Light something or other waterproof, and then there's an Innovate waterproof which I really like, um, uh, the Trail Shell, I think that's the name of that one, I test so many, I, they've all got really long names, I forget them all, um, so yeah Innovate Montane. whichever current lightweight running jacket that they do is really good. I've got one from Hoka and it's got a sideways zip. So I'm just trying that at the moment. Um, Like the zip is asymmetrical, it goes across here and it's got thumb loops um, with like little soft sort of mini mitts at the end, which is quite nice. Yeah, um, uh, waterproof with thumb loops is quite a nice thing um, for for winter because it can keep your gloves a bit drier if you're wearing gloves or it can keep your hands a bit warmer if you're not at the stage where you need to put your gloves on yet the only thing with a thumb loop that i find a little bit difficult with a waterproof is that uh, if you want to look at your watch you do have to keep unlooping it and and pulling the whole waterproof back which can be a little bit soggy (laughs) but um but yeah a thumb loop is is, it's nice to have if if you can find one with thumb loops cool thanks
0: and a couple more questions one can you recommend a head torch
1: Yes, I can. I'm just actually testing budget head torches right now, so I'll be doing a budget head torch film on my channel. Um, but my two favourite head torches are here. Yeah. So... a bit bad.
0: I didn't tell Claire I was going to ask her any of these questions, but you've <laughs> <at least laughs> got your least... I would got have gone a bit. So,
1: um, this, uh, these are my two favourite head torches. Um, the first one is a silver... Uh, you can find reviews of these on my channel if you just Google. If you want to know about any gear, Google whatever gear it is, head torches the name of the product whatever plus wild ginger running and if i've reviewed it it should come up in the searches so it's just um when i'm not here anymore that's how you get my information so this is the silver trail runner hybrid um and it's uh really light that's why i like it and um, it's got a rechargeable battery it's also got a um a red light at the back so if you're doing any running on the roads then you can turn it to put the red light on and it, and it just leaps at you like that so for safety um hasn't got any extra cords, so they've put the cord from the battery pack to the lamp inside the headband. So that's super good. Um, and it's just got um, several different light settings. Very simple, like small, medium, large beam. Um, and you can rotate the head torch. Yada, 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 and it lasts for a good few hours. Um, can't remember the exact stats, but it lasts for a good, nice long run. If you want um, a super bright head torch, the Silver Cross Trail 7 XT is a really good shout um, that I'm currently, every month they give me one to win in my competition if you're a patron of mine. So um, that's a really super bright head torch. It's got a big battery pack, but what they give you is a big wire that goes back from the back of the head torch down into your backpack so you don't have to carry that battery pack on your head. Um, This one is on the head, but it's super light. It's only like 100 or so grams, this head torch. The other headshot I really like, um, this is about 100 grams as well. Uh, it's the petrol uh, petrol Petzl, Swift, uh, Zwift RL. Um, so the RL stands for reactive lighting and you can have that on or off. So the reactive lighting is something that it basically it's, it, it guesses how much light you need based on the ambient light around you and it puts out what it thinks you need. I personally don't like that because I like to be in full control of what light that I'm putting out. And also, if you're running with others with head torches on, then it thinks that there's more light than there is, if you know what I mean. So um, so that's less less good. So I always use it without uh, without that one. But the reason I like this head torch is that it's only 100 grams, kicks out about 900 lumens. Oh, this one was 450 lumens, by the way. Um, 900 lumens on full and then half um, that on the other settings but the reason i like it is because it's got this split headband and um, all the weight is up front but it's only 100 grams so it's fine it doesn't bounce around very comfy um but the split headband uh, means you can put your ponytail through that bit and i just think that that's really comfy compared to this one where you have to um do something about your ponytail either up or down um around this um battery at the pa- at the back there so that's the silver trail runner um Uh, hybrid or the Petzl Zwift are my two favorite head torches. Are they both waterproof as well? Yes, yes, both. I wouldn't put them in a screen, but yeah, (laughs) yes. Uh, yeah, so Petzl and Silver are the kind of the head torch brands in the UK. Um, you can get other brands as well, but these are like the main contenders um, and they are always really good quality and they're always water resistant um, for running in the rain because that's they, they're designed for that, aren't they? They're <laughs> designed for being used in the winter. So for trail running, um, you need about 200 lumens minimum light. Um, but if you're just running on roads and just using it to sort of light up the way, you could get away with 100 lumens. Um, if you want to navigate on trails then the brighter the better basically you can get head torches that go a thousand lumens plus but obviously with that higher brightness you just need like a bigger battery um the the higher the brightness level and the longer it lasts for basically the bigger the battery pack you need which is obvious but you need to work out what you need like if you're just going for a two-hour run um through some trails not navigating then then these will be perfect (laughs) Thanks. And then last one, just on shoes.
0: What are your favorite trail shoes that you've tried? One for like easy rolling trails and two for like technical, more grippy trails. And I guess actually, sorry, three, as we're going into winter, like muddy trails.
1: Oh, yes. Um, well, <laughs> no, a fair few things about shoes. Because <laughs> not behind me. Um, I haven't actually found my perfect pair of trail running shoes yet. I'm still waiting to find one. Um, I really like a wide-fitting shoe. So I've recently been trying some really good wide-fit, dedicated wide-fit shoes from Ultra and also from um, Topo as well. The thing with Ultra is that they're zero drop and I can't really run for a long time in zero drop just because I don't have the calf strength and the Achilles strength to just cope with that different angle the drop by the way is the difference from the heel to the toe of the shoe so if it's zero drop it's completely flat and there's no sort of heel stack under the heel which is more normal for especially for a road running shoe road running shoes can have like a little bit of a heel um, about 10 mil in some cases A lot of trail shoes have eight mil, um, but then there's quite a lot of trail shoes that also have four mil as well. And Outra obviously zero drop. So I struggle to run more than eight miles in Outras before picking up a a left ankle injury. Um, But I do really like the wide fit of them. So I'm just like oh why don't they make a transition shoe that's eight mil (laughs) um so i will email them um topo make a wide fit shoe which is five mil drop which i've been really enjoying lately um the both of those would be for the rolling trails they're they're kind of for mixed terrain um not super super grippy but not like um and enough padding to do everything so those two would be um for kind of multi-terrain the topo has less padding actually so um i've been even though they're five mil drop and wide fit which is ideal they need more cushioning for me to do a long distance in so i'm I'm still not even close to finding my perfect trailing shoe um the some some shoes that people really get on well with are the salomon speed cross um so I've got the new 6s at the moment, Speedcross 6. Um, and They're a really good multi-terrain shoe. They've got enough padding to go on the roads, but they've got um, uh, a quite deep lugs, like 5 mil lugs, that are quite widely spaced so that they don't collect a load of mud. The mud can fall out. Um, so the Salomon Speedcross is a shoe that a lot of people really, really like for trail running. Um, and they're good for multi-terrain and they're good for quite sloppy stuff as well um if you're going really really sloppy it's got to be innovate mud claws all the way so they're like football boots Uh, so this is you wouldn't want to wear them on roads at all you wouldn't want to really wear them on any kind of hard packed path this is for proper fell running where you're not really on the path you're just like hiking up running up a mountain and running back down basically so the mud claws would be brilliant for that um in between, e would be the cross talons from Innovate. They are they are grippy, but you can do a bit more multi activity with those. Um, what other shoes have I been enjoying lately? Uh, basically, anything from Innovate or Salomon always wins with me. Um, yeah, that's basically what I've been enjoying lately: the ultras the Salomon, and the Innovate.
0: Cool, awesome! Thank you very much. Thanks. No so much for your time today that was awesome so many good hints and tips there and you can all go back and have a little look through that again um Claire if you stay there I'll say goodbye to everyone else and yeah thanks everyone for joining and I will chat to you soon